Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Week 7 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by none other than MyBookie. You know it's that time of week again, guys. Preview episode, Thursday night football. We also got the NBA season kicking off. We got Major League Baseball with the, the League Championship Series. And the NHL is in getting into full swing as well. So there is plenty to find, plenty to do at MyBookie. Just swing by uh, MyBookie. They have some of the best reviews online. Their mobile site is easy to use. They've been in business for years, so you know you can trust them. And that is why I'm urging you to go to MyBookie. You win and they pay. Use the promo code BEARS25 and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. And if you do it after 7 p.m., you get an extra $25 by using the promo code BEARS25. So there you have it, guys. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This week on the Bears Talk Underground. After losing a heartbreaker in overtime in Miami, our beloved return home to Soldier Field. But in order to remain atop the NFC North, the Bears have to slay the beast known as the New England Patriots, who are coming into town on a three-game winning streak and looking to keep their spot atop their own division. Will the Bears make a statement? And what will that statement be? Alex Shane from SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit joins us on the Week 7 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. We got New England on Sunday, folks. It's going to be our are they for real game when the Patriots come to town and take on our beloved Chicago Bears. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the Week 7 preview of the Bears Talk Underground and, uh, you know, there's a lot riding on this game. You know, if we lose, we're sitting at 500. When just a couple of weeks ago, we were three and one. Uh, we 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 lose our spot atop the division, um, and uh, you know, and we're on a two-game losing streak now with the uh, with the streaking Jets coming into town the week after. So I mean, it's uh, it's an it's an important game that the Bears have on Sunday. Not only do they have an opportunity to make a statement about who they are as a team by a bouncing back from a from a a heartbreaking loss in Miami last Sunday, but making that statement against one of the best teams in the NFL over the last two decades, and um, you know it's a hell of an opportunity that the Bears have uh, sitting in front of us. Alex Shane uh, from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation will be joining us here in just a few minutes to help us preview. Uh, that game Uh, not a whole lot to talk about as far as news and notes this week not a whole lot of headlines basically the only headlines we're talking about um, this week thus far here in Thursday night Um, well the one thing is um, somebody was asking the the media um, or the media was asking I should say uh, Bill Belichick um, his weekly press conference and that guy's about as exciting as watching paint dry um, two things that he said I found very interesting. One, um, somebody asked him about, um, you know, if Khalil Mack kind of ranks in the same class with guys like 
the two guys that they mentioned were Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor. And Bill Belichick immediately said, I'm not putting anyone in Lawrence Taylor's class. Now, this is a guy that was a, a coach on the coaching staff with the Giants in the 80s when Taylor was drafted. And he was with Lawrence Taylor for many years. I think they won two Super Bowls together before uh, before Bill. Or maybe was he around for this? Yeah, he was around for both in 86 and in 90. Um, Belichick was around for both. I think he was defensive coordinator for both of those teams. Uh, for the Giants but uh, this is a guy that that watched Lawrence Taylor from day one uh, into like the first decade uh, of his career uh, before he finally moved on to be head coach of the uh, Browns in the early 90s there but uh, you know saying that uh, you know I don't put anyone in Lawrence Taylor's class is like all due respect to a lot of great football players but Lawrence Taylor's in a class of his own so we'll uh, we'll see if uh, Khalil Mack can can uh, have anything to say uh, about that come this Sunday, which is going to be something that we'll talk about here in just a moment um, as far as Khalil Mack's status for Sunday. I'm I'm personally not worried at the moment. I think if uh, we get to the Saturday walkthrough and we see doubtful as his playing uh, status, then, then we'll get a little nervous about what might happen on Sunday. But for now, I'm cool. But uh, the other thing that um, was... Uh, interesting that i heard belichick say and i don't know if he's saying this to just build up the bears or uh you know what have you but he's like you know when i watch these guys on film i see a 5-0 and team and if you want to break it down to its simplest form uh, i think malcolm fell one of my loyal listeners from over the pond in the uk uh mentioned on on uh, facebook the other day that it, it makes him sick or pisses him off, one of the two, that uh, the Bears are a dropped interception, a la Kyle Fuller week one against the Packers, and a missed field goal from being 5-0. and And he's absolutely right. I mean, if, if you break it down into its simplest terms, that's all it is. Two bad plays. Two bad plays. Kyle Fuller dropping that interception that hit him right in the breadbasket. One play before... Um, the big touchdown run that gave or the touchdown the catch and run that gave the the Packers the lead for the for good and then Cody Parkey missing that 53 yarder uh, against the uh, Dolphins obviously a low percentage kick 53 yards but he had plenty of leg he just hooked it to the uh, he just pushed it uh, to the right but um, yeah two plays if you break it down into its simplest form two plays away from being a 5-0 and team and uh, imagine the confidence that this football team would have going into this matchup with the the Patriots at five and zero. I mean that's amazing. But um, yeah, so I mean that's what Belichick said. He's like, I, I see a football team that's a couple of plays away from being five and zero. That's what I see when I watch these guys on film. So maybe he's blowing smoke, or maybe he does have a lot of respect for what the Bears uh, have done and are capable of. So. Um, you know, he's smart enough of a coach to know that uh, what we put on the field the first four weeks of the season is probably more likely the team that he'll see uh, on Sunday because a lot of the factors that played into what could have gone wrong for the Bears this past Sunday, the heat, the layoff, those awful goddamn orange jerseys, uh, you know, things like that aren't going to be a factor on Sunday. We're going to be wearing our beautiful navy blues um just a regular i think our regular ones we're not wearing the throwbacks yet i think we wait for minnesota before we wear the throwbacks which are way better than the orange ones i give a damn what anybody says 
And um, it's also supposed to only be about 49 degrees at kickoff on Sunday. So the heat, not going to be a factor. I mean, the weather shouldn't be a factor at all because New England is a obviously a northeastern team, so it's they get the same, relatively same weather this time of year as well. But it's just weather isn't going to be a factor because it's not going to be beating down 88 degrees with 70% humidity or any of that kind of uh, madness. But, um, you know, and like I said, we, we won't be wearing those. Those awful jerseys. We won't be wearing them. We'll wear them again at some point again this year. We'll probably lose because those things are awful and they're cursed. They're just they're terrible, terrible jerseys. Every time I see a picture of the Miami game, not only am I reminded of that loss, but I'm reminded of how terrible we looked in those goddamn jerseys. They're awful. They are absolutely. I just I don't get it. I don't get why you people like that. You know, or or and I think I mentioned this before. Like, I can see how you like the combo as, uh, you know, to wear around. You know, the orange does go good with a pair of blue jeans or something like that. I, I get that. But to say that you like it on the Bears with those navy blue helmets and the white pants, it's a bad look. It is such a bad look. Just awful. Just awful. Anyway, I'm done now. But, uh, so those were the two things that Belichick mentioned in his press conference earlier this week. I think it was yesterday on Wednesday. And um, the only other thing that's kind of piquing anybody's interest right now is the injury report for the Bears. Uh, five guys on the list this week. Uh, Prince of Mukamura limited with the hamstring. He, he started last week against Miami, then left the game with the hamstring uh, again. So I guess he, was, he tweaked it or something. Uh, Marcus Cooper didn't practice on Wednesday, was limited today, also with a ham in, uh, hamstring injury. Eric Cush, that was nursing that neck injury last week, was limited today and yesterday on Wednesday. Um, Allen Robinson, limited on Wednesday, didn't practice today, but Matt Nagy said that that was more of a precaution with Allen Robinson, not putting him out there on that hammy today. And then uh, Khalil Mack, who suffered the ankle injury but played through it on Sunday, hasn't practiced yet on Wednesday or Thursday. Like I said, I'll reserve any kind of nervousness for Saturday when the when the designations come out, you know, doubtful, probable, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so for right now, I'm, I'm not all that worried about Mac uh, resting an ankle injury uh, right now. So, I mean, it is, after all, an ankle injury. If it was serious, we would have heard about it by now. Trust me. Uh, there's no way they're keeping that secret when it comes to Khalil Mack. On the Patriots side, you hear me talk about it a bit with uh, with Alex Shane. There's uh, like a 10, 11 guys on this list, and I ask Alec about it. With Belichick being one of the, the biggest gamesmen the game has ever seen and definitely one of the biggest gamesmen in the NFL right now, uh, the number of names on this list, you know, how legit is it? You know, is it uh, just Belichick putting guys on there because he's got a hangnail or something like that? or there are actual legitimate injuries on the list. Uh, he mentions names like Malcolm Brown, uh, the defensive lineman, has been limited with the knee injury. Marcus Cannon, that's a big one. He said he's going to keep his eye on Marcus Cannon. Uh, he's got concussion, uh, starting right tackle. That's the guy that's supposed to be blocking Khalil Mack the majority of the time. Um, he's been out with a concussion. He has yet practiced so far this week. Uh, Julian Edelman's nursing a heel injury. He's been limited so far. Josh Gordon, hamstring has been limited both days this week. Uh, Gronkowski, nursing a ankle injury, but I don't think you have anything to worry about there as far as him not playing on Sunday. Uh, Sony Michelle, their rookie uh, running back, is nursing a knee injury, but he's been playing through that. He suffered that 
during the preseason. And uh, I think that's it as far as uh, highlights. But we've also got about five, six other guys all limited. Anyone who's on the injury list has been limited in practice both days this week, aside from Marcus Cannon, who hasn't practiced at all. So that's something to keep your eye on this Sunday. Who's going to be lined up at right tackle? Will it be Marcus Cannon? Will it be his backup? And, uh, you know, how much will we make that backup pay for being out there uh, on Sunday? So that's pretty much it as far as news and notes. I mean, nothing really else has, has been going on this week. Uh, it's basically been the Khalil Mack ankle watch and uh, what has uh, Belichick had to say about our beloved Chicago Bears. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to move aside and bring in our good friend Alex Shane from SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit to help us preview Week 7 Bears against the Patriots. <laughs> Week number seven has the Bears returning home, where we're currently undefeated, uh, to take on the New England Patriots, a much ballyhooed game, especially with the start that the Bears have had. This is kind of a are-they-for-real game for the Bears when the Patriots, Tom Brady and company come to town. And to help us preview this game from Pat's Pulpit, we got Alex Shane. Alec, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate having me. So, Alec, let's talk about the Patriots because, as, as usual – I, and I and I mean this in all sincerity. We've had our annual "Are the Patriots Done?" phase already. You know they they lost that game to Detroit on Sunday Night Football. So yet again, they have somewhat of an embarrassing loss on national television, a la their big Monday Night loss to Kansas City on uh, you know a few years back. And you know they they're one and two at one point, if if I'm not mistaken. And yep. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, Brady's turning 90 next year and Belichick's, you know, already collecting, you know, Social Security. So this thing's got to end at some point. Maybe the writing's on the wall. And then sure enough, they've won three in a row and are in, in firm grasp of, of the lead in the AFC. Because even though they're four and two with the Dolphins, they beat the hell out of Miami a few weeks ago. So they are technically in first place. And, you know, but, but here we are. We, we've had this meltdown already with the Patriots and the, are they, the whole are they done conversation, and yet here we are on a three-game winning streak and, and no one's worried about the Patriots anymore. No, it's funny. You know, every September, the Patriots go 2-2 two and two or so, 3-1, and one, and there's always that one game. Every year, since about 2011 or so, they just drop a game. They just have no business losing at Jacksonville in the heat. That was a potential AFC Championship preview. Again, I'm not going to knock the Patriots for losing one on the road to Jacksonville, who's a good defensive team. But the loss in Detroit, especially the two losses in a row, it's very rare the Patriots lose two in a row. So them right. to lose like they did um, obviously has people shook up about it. But it's it's amazing how nobody ever learns. And we're so reactionary as just a, a population. Whenever something happens, it's always the immediate aftermath we tend to cling to. But the Patriots go two and two every September. Belichick always says the season starts in, in earnest in October and November. And in October and November, they're always very good. They've gotten their act together. They've figured out their there are various issues. They still have a long way to go. There's still a lot of things that they need to work on. But the shift's been righted for sure. Uh, very big statement game against Kansas City this past Sunday night. Really, really big victory there. And I think they're starting to round the corner and being the Patriots, everyone knows they can be and will be. So let's talk about that Kansas City game for a bit because as impressive as it was to see the 
the Patriots answer the call and, and beat a tough team like Kansas City, who's been a juggernaut so far in the first five, six weeks of the season. It was a 43-40 to 40 game in which, obviously, you guys gave up 40 points. Is the defense any kind of concern this year? Because, I mean, you gave up big points to Detroit, uh, you know, and, and you know, 40-plus points to, to, to Mahomes last Sunday. What, what's going on with the with the defense that's very unbelichick like for the for the defense to get, you know, given up the points like that. Yeah, it's a good question. And especially if you look at this past game, it really was a tale of two halves. I mean, the Patriots took a commanding lead into the locker room at halftime. It was 24 to 9 at the half, and then KC came out, they scored a touchdown, a field goal, a touchdown, and a touchdown on their next possessions, and the Patriots couldn't stop anything. Uh, I, it is worth mentioning, however, three of those touchdowns, actually four of those touchdowns, came on short fields. There was the mm. Brady fumble, which led to a touchdown. There was the uh, the 97-yard kick return, which led to a touchdown. Then there were those two plays that uh, Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill just broke for 68 and 75 yards, I believe, in the numbers. Mm. So other than those kind of big home run plays with the Patriots, have been known to give up um the defense actually played pretty well they had some good schemes they threw a lot of different looks at Patrick Mahomes their goal was to show him a lot of disguise blitzes a lot of disguise coverages forced the young quarterback to diagnose defenses incorrectly it led to that Dante high power pick it led to the Deron Harmon pick toward the end of the first half so overall the defense played pretty well but it's a little bit skewed because of those big plays. And what that big those big plays are is they're asking Patriots secondary to cover Tyreek Hill for more than three or four seconds, which you just can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the breakdowns come in the secondary and the safety position, but I think those are kind of those those oopses and those miscommunications and those my bad that just happen on occasion. But teams like the Chiefs will make you really pay for it. So, yes, 40 points is no good, but if you want to look at it objectively, it wasn't as bad as the score indicated. Sure, sure. I mean, And, and I feel the same way about uh... – Everyone uh, freaking out over the Bears giving up 380 to Brock Osweiler. And I was like, really? Yeah. He got a third of those passing yards on those two five-yard passes to Albert Wilson that turned into 60-yard touchdowns. So, you know, did he really throw for 380 or did his receivers give him 380 yards? Because there was a lot of that going on on Sunday. I mean, the, the, the tackling was just terrible by the Bears on, on defense. There was a lot of yak yards uh, going on there. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, maybe it's just sour grapes on my part, but I, I don't really feel like Brock Osweiler carved the Bears up for 380, more so that the, 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 their receivers did a great job of, of, of getting themselves into space and getting the football up the field, and our defense and our secondary and such had a terrible day with arm tackles and missing tackles and taking bad angles uh, and everything against the, um, against the Dolphins. So uh, I've, 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 I really feel where you're coming from. Uh, with that because the same thing happened to us uh, week one uh, I mean and against the Dolphins as well it was the big plays that ended up hurting us week one against Green Bay we had them in check for three quarters and then Aaron Rodgers comes in the fourth quarter and it's three big pass plays and boom they've got the lead and somehow we lose the game same thing with the Dolphins game on Sunday you know it 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 goes up on the sheet as uh, you know points scored against the uh, the defense it definitely racks up on you when, when those big plays come in like that no, it really does. And not all yards and points are created equal. Like I said, if your defense is a short field to defend, they give up a score, it really doesn't mean as much as if a team leads a, you know, a 12-play, 83-yard drive that ends in a touchdown, takes eight minutes off the clock. You know, those are the drives you really don't want to see right. as a defense. And the Patriots are, are good at that. One thing there they do that's very frustrating as a fan, but it works, 
is they don't really worry about yards between the 20s. From the touchback to the, the 20-yard line that they're defending, they have no problem giving up yards in chunks. They tend to stiffen up in the red zone and force field goals. And since their offense is getting a real groove on, they're now getting ready to score touchdowns. And if they can trade touchdowns for field goals, they'll take it every single time. And they'll round the corner, and they'll be fine. They always are. It's interesting to hear you talk about the Bears defense kind of giving up the big plays because, you know, the – shook the world up that Khalil Mack acquisition you guys oh God, had and you, and yeah. you figured that was going to be just this this corner that was turned and do you think it's for you guys I guess on from a someone who has not watched a whole lot of Bears football uh this season because you guys haven't been in prime time just too much just yet um is it a a scenario where the defense like, can't protect the lead and they're relying too heavily on their their pass rush the secondary is kind of letting them down what do you think the biggest issue is the Bears defense is causing these late late drives to, to lose the game well, week one, it was the Bears taking their foot off the gas. It happened on both sides of the ball. In the first half, we were super aggressive on defense. We got after Aaron Rodgers. Hell, we knocked him out of the game. Right. You know, we, we knocked him out of the game with that knee injury that's still kind of bugging him now. Um, and on offense, we stopped being aggressive and, and playing conservatively. And then in the defense, like I said, we stopped getting after him. Even with a one-legged Aaron Rodgers in the backfield, it seemed like we went in more of a prevent thing. And they ended up catching us in some bad spots, and that's where those big plays came from. Last week against uh, the Dolphins, it was a combination of um, you know Adam Gase scheming to get the ball out of Osweiler's hands as quickly as humanly possible. I mean, that's the other thing about you know people saying that he carved us up for 380 yards. It's not like he was standing back there in the pocket for eight seconds and then just finding wide-open receivers. He was getting the ball out of his hands, kind of negating the pass rush, and then that heat, man. I really feel like the heat was a much bigger factor than the Bears, than the Nagy and everybody else is letting on uh, that it mm. did affect the defense uh, on Sunday. I really do. And, you know, I, I really feel that that's what that's what I mean, because we had the it was 21 to 13 going into the fourth quarter and they did all of their damage in the fourth quarter with those two big touchdown plays to, to Albert Wilson. You know, he just he just outran a tired defense and. You know, the first thing that goes when you're tired is your technique. So all the form sure. tackling, you know, getting your feet underneath you so that you're in the best position, that all went out the window uh, in the fourth quarter, and we, we just didn't have it. You know, it just wasn't there. But the three weeks in between, the three weeks that we won, you know, Arizona, Seattle, Tampa Bay, we were opportunistic. We're flying all over the field. Um, you know, we gave up 17 to Seattle. Um 13, 14 to Arizona, and then 10 to Tampa Bay. I think that's more typical of the defense that we usually see. And then last week was the, uh, you know, whether it was rust or playing on the road, fatigue from the heat or, or whatever, I think that's what contributed more than anything to what to what happened to the Bears and, and why they were giving up the big plays. It was just the Dolphins biding their time until we had no gas left in the tank, man. It was It was crazy to watch. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, one area that, that Tom Brady struggles in Florida, too. He's got a pretty bad record down there. So there's something about that heat and, and playing, especially as the in the New England area, the northern area, as the October hits and the weather starts to turn, gets a little colder. You're used to practicing in the cold weather. Suddenly go down and have to play in the humidity. It really takes it out. Yeah. And, and as you talked about a little earlier, you know, it's very important to take into account different factors. It's very easy look at the score or look at the stat line and just see things and make judgments but there are little nuances of every single game you got to take into account yeah i mean if, if we play the dolphins week one when it's still warm and humid in the midwest in chicago maybe things are a little bit differently because we're experiencing that practicing during the week and so on and so forth but the week 
of weather that led to the Bears going to Miami. It was in the 50s, and overnight it was in the 30s, below freezing and things like that. Then they go down there, and it's 88 and 80% humidity, and, you know, the, the air is sticking to you, like you're glistening just standing there. I mean, it's, it can really <laughs> bear down on you, uh, you know, if it gets bad enough. So uh, I, I definitely think that the heat was more of a factor than they really want to let on. And I, I guess they're not trying not to make excuses as to right. that's why, why it happened, but you know, I, I don't think anybody would blame them if they'd be like, yeah, man, that he was a bitch. It really did affect it, you know. that. I mean, the only person that I've heard say anything about the heat was Bobby Massey, the right tackle uh, for the Bears, who said that he lost 12 pounds during the game. Damn. You know, <laughs> you know and I've heard some people cry BS on that. It's like, but, dude, he weighs 330. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more water swimming around in this guy for him to lose <laughs> 12 pounds. It's definitely sure. possible. Yeah. So I could definitely see that happening. But, um, you know, I, I, when I was uh, I was just looking at some little factoids before the uh, before we got started here. And one that I found interesting and I hope for my sake that it continues is that in all six games that the Patriots have played in so far, the home team is one. Yeah. Patriots are 0-2 on the road this year. Uh, again, they're in Jacksonville in the heat, and then Detroit was just a, a stinker. Um, they're they're 4-0 at home. They're obviously a much better uh, home team than they are a road team. And I think this will be their, their first true road test uh, of the quote-unquote new Patriots, the October Patriots, where they're historically very good. Right. It's tough because Chicago is a tough place to play. Uh, I'm not sure what the weather forecast will be like for Sunday. It'll probably be be cool and, and crisp, which is where, where Tom Brady likes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, there's a good defense. There's 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 a good defensive front. I, I don't know. I, I think this will. There there's this, this up now. The schedule is very difficult. The Patriots play six of their next eight on the road. Yeah. Um, and so the games they should have won, they won. And now it's really time to to get a, a signature kind of convincing road win. Uh, the Bears are three and two. I know they're coming off a bad loss, but they're a different team at home as most teams are. So I think this is kind of the beginning of a a good road test for them. And I think if they can get off to a good start and and get a good win on there under their belt uh, this coming Sunday, it should bode well for the next couple of games. Yeah, I was. Um, but when then 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 the, the factoid that came just after it was that Brady is seven and zero against quarterbacks that are 15 yeah. <laughs> years younger than him or something like yeah. that. I was like, what a crazy random stat, but there it is. You know, he's, he's seven and zero for guys that are 15 years younger or more uh, than him. Like he just beat Mahomes, who's I think 23 or 24, whatever. So there's a 16, 17 year ga- age gap between those two and Trubisky's only 24. So we got a 17 year gap between these uh, guys. So it's like, which one of these stats is going to win out on Sunday? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's really not Brady, right? It's Belichick. It's Belichick. Right. They're undefeated against these, these quarterbacks. And what he does, and you saw it on Sunday night against the Chiefs, is he likes to throw really complex, confusing defensive fronts and give these young quarterbacks who haven't had a lot of reps in the league, through no fault of their own, they're just young, give them these kind of really confusing looks they haven't seen before and force them to misdiagnose the defense. And that happens a lot. And then the really good quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes could kind of figure it out as the game went on. And the ones who are still learning and still kind of coming up as NFL players get completely dominated by it. Uh, I don't know which guy Trubisky is. I like Mitch Trubisky. He seems like he's a smart guy. He's very mobile. He makes good decisions. Uh, I'm not sure how good he is at diagnosing a defense and a lot of this guy's blitzes, but I guess we'll find out. And that's one of my main concerns going into the game is the, you know, the, the wizardry of Belichick. Uh, himself I was um, listening to a, another uh, a different podcast a Bears podcast a friend of mine Lauren Cox puts together and he had um, 
Mike's Mark Schofield, Mike Schofield, one of the two. Um, he's a page. He does the locked on Patriots uh, podcast. And he was saying that, um, you know, one of the things that Belichick is the best at is taking your strength and then basically attacking your strength, turning your strength into a weakness and coming into the game. One of Mahomes' favorite targets was Travis Kelsey, and they spent the entire first half essentially triple teaming Travis Kelsey to completely take him out of the game, forcing Mahomes to go somewhere else uh, with the football. And that's where the success came in the second half because they, they started using Kelsey as a decoy in the second half, and that's where you get your big plays from Tyreek Hill and, and things like that in the second half. They made the adjustment in the second half. So I guess even more so, halftime adjustment is what's going to win or lose the game for the Bears, especially if it's close at halftime. No, absolutely. You know, and Belichick's really good at halftime adjustments. It's what he does well. I'll be very curious to see what his game plan is against the Bears, uh, who the number one weapon he tries to take away is. Uh, I I like your running game a lot. I like Jordan Howard. I think he's pretty legit. He's a big guy. He's about 225, I think. Yeah, he's a thick Um, guy. Yeah, and I I think if I'm Belichick uh, on Sunday, I am making the running game an absolute non-factor. I'm putting the entire game on the back of Mitch Trubisky and forcing him to make decisions that he doesn't want to have to make and forcing him to make mistakes. I don't know if he gets rattled, but I think we'll find out. You saw Dante Hightower, who's a middle inside linebacker, lined out way out wide following Kelsey around. So they do not care what they have to do to take away that number one weapon. Um, And that's kind of how Belichick likes to operate, and I I, I, – if I was a betting man, I'd say the running game will be their focus on on Sunday, and it will try and force Trubisky to get the ball to his receivers. I don't know if there are any receivers on the Bears that really, really scare me. I like Allen Robinson. Um, I like Terrell Taylor Gabriel, but I don't think there's really any kind of stud number ones. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. I don't want to misdiagnose anybody, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's going to be the 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 passing game that is forced to win the game. And if, and if Mitch Trubisky wins it on Sunday, he'll have definitely earned it. Yeah, it's it's more of a um, they really spread the ball around uh, in the passing game. Um, but the last couple of weeks, Taylor Gabriel, Tariq Cohen, those are the guys that are hitting big in the passing game. So if I'm Belichick and and I do put the game on in Trubisky, I load up the box and, and take Jordan Howard out of the football game, the passing game. Um, the guy that you have to identify where he is on the field at all times in the passing game is Tariq Cohen. Because he's the guy that's that's been you know out of the backfield. He's doing some of those uh, out and up uh, patterns, and he's wide open down the sideline because there's a linebacker chasing him. You're going to lose that battle every single time. He is he's basically Darren Sproles is is who he is. He's dangerous coming out of the backfield. And if they ever run the football with him, they're probably going to try to get him to the outside because if he turns the corner, he's going to get at least five yards if not more. So he's the guy that you want to take out of the passing game is is uh, Tariq Cohen. Taylor Gabriel, he's more the big play guy because he had one. He had a catch for fifty something yards and a forty-seven yard catch in, uh, against the the Dolphins uh, on Sunday. And Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, they're they're kind of um, hot and cold as far as who Trubisky likes to go to in a particular game. Well, I'll tell you, that does not make me happy to hear that, Larry, because one area the Patriots have gotten gashed year after year after year is catching, is passing, catching running backs out of the backfield Ooh. on the wheel routes, in the flat. 
finding a mismatch against a linebacker. Kareem Hunt did it against the Patriots this last Sunday. If there's a shifty, elusive running back who's oh. good in the in the shotgun and you can go out on a wheel route, that's burned the Patriots for years. And coverage linebacker continues to be a real weak spot of this Patriots defense. So I wouldn't be curious to see a guy like maybe safety Patrick Chung assigned to Tariq Cohen or maybe a, a Deron Harmon with, with with Jonathan Jones, their, their, their slot corner. If he's that uh, violent and explosive, I can see them actually dedicating a corner to him and allowing other their cornerbacks to find Gilmore, Jason McCourty, to be on an island against the other guys. Yeah, I was I was hearing that Belichick likes to run a three two six formation. You know, um, you know that's six defensive backs, two linebackers, three guys up front, and that's that sounds like the perfect defense to play against the Bears, especially when Tariq Cohen uh, is on the field. To have those six DBs out there, you got a lot more faster guys. Uh, out there and, and uh, you know Patrick Chung sounds like a good candidate to, to mirror uh, Tariq Cohen, Cohen where he goes I go kind of thing to try to neutralize what he's capable of because he's definitely a shifty you know like he is he is Darren Sproles he's five foot six and he's one of those little thick guys got that low center of gravity so he's not the easiest person <laughs> to tackle but he is also one of the fastest guys on the team. It's like him and Taylor Gabriel are one and two as far as being the speed guys uh, on the football team. So he's definitely somebody that you want to key on uh, on the offensive side when it comes to what the Bears could be capable of in the, the passing game. He's not so much the favorite target of Trubisky, but he's always he's reliable in the passing game more than it. He's got great hands. So hmm. somebody cool. needs to, to watch out for. How so, do the uh... – how do the Bears use their tight ends? Uh, are they more are they pass catchers? Are they red zone threats, or do they use more as chip blockers and, and package guys? Well, that's the thing. They're, they are more like package guys. Trey Burton is more your receiving um, receiver. Um, I'm, I really haven't seen him do much blocking, but when Deion Sims is on the field, you're guaranteed he's going to be blocking somebody. You know, He does go out for passes and things like that, but that's not what we're paying him to do. He's blocking uh, up front, and... You know, if we're in a, in a in a spot where we've got three tight ends on the field, which is very rare uh, for a Matt Nagy offense, uh, it's going to be Den, Ben Broniker, uh, who ironically was the intended receiver for that interception that Trubisky threw last week. Um, I don't know what the hell he was looking at there, but um, yeah. So I mean, it's uh, it, they're they're package guys. If if so and so's on the field, you can pretty much determine what's probably going down. I mean, Burton's on the field for pass and run because he run out of the shotgun a lot. So Burton's going to be on the field almost every down. But if you see Sims out there, you can probably bank. We're probably running the football. Interesting. So, if you're uh, if you're Mark, if Mark Helfrich, you're off the coordinator, right? Yeah. Um, if you're Mark Helfrich, do, do, do the, the Bears run a complex offense? Is it pretty basic? And if, how are you going to attack this Patriots defense if you're if you're Helfrich? What's your what's your main strategy for Sunday? Well, I, th- I think what the Bears are going to try to do is um, – I think what they're going to try to do is what the Chiefs ended up doing when they realized that Travis Kelsey wasn't going to be an option for them, and that is spread the ball around. and Not not always getting it to Cohen, not always looking for Trey Burton, not always looking for Gabriel, and try to get somebody else uh, involved to try to, you know, so that the Patriots aren't focusing on one guy like the Chiefs did in the first half when they completely took Travis Kelsey out of the equation uh, for Mahomes. You know, that's the one thing that I like about our passing game is that we – that Trubisky doesn't appear to have a favorite target, somebody that he's always looking for, somebody he's always throwing to. So, you know, that that's going to be hard to judge when you're looking at the film for the Bears. Um, and, and I would think that we're going to try to run as much as possible 
so as to not put the ball in Trubisky's hands or to leave it in his hands because we trust the kid. I believe that. But, you know, I think that we're probably going to try to run the ball uh, early uh, coming out, especially if you guys give us the three two six front running against five guys. I, I would assume that we'd probably choose the R in RPO on those plays, yeah. uh, especially if Jordan Howard's uh, on the field. So I, that, that's what I would do or what I think the Bears would like to do. But it's Nagy that calls the play. Helfrich is just helping them scheme gotcha. uh, everything. So tell me something. I've always wondered this about the Patriots, and I'm surprised we didn't talk about it over the summer, but who the hell is coaching your offensive line? Offensive line coach. I'm glad you asked. His name is Dante Scarnecchia. He has okay. been in the NFL since time memoriam. He <laughs> is right where he wants to be. He's been an offensive line coach for the Patriots since 90 – no, before that. Oh, I think 30-plus years of coaching the Patriots. Um, he's been offered several head coaching jobs, has gladly turned them all down. He retired for a year or two, and uh-huh. then he came back because he was bored and he's a football lifer. Um, and he's just an absolute animal and one of the best in the business. And Belichick actually refers to him as the assistant head coach. He's such a staple of the team, and, and what he's been able to, to bring to the table is, is nothing short of remarkable. So, yeah, Dante Scarnacchi is the guy you're talking about. Yeah, because one of the things that I've always marveled at when I watch the Patriots is that Brady can stand back there all day long if he wants to, and no matter who the, the Patriots have. I mean, it, there's one of the things you've never really heard in all this time that Brady's been the quarterback for the Patriots is that the offensive line is terrible. You know, that Brady's constantly under pressure, and that's why the Patriots just barely made 500 this year or anything like that. The Patriots have a streak of how many years in a row? 10, 11 plus wins uh, and everything. And it's due in part greatly to that offensive line and all the time that Brady has to find people to pick his opponents apart. Yeah, absolutely true. I think the Patriots had a weaker than usual defensive line, offensive line, excuse me, in 2015 when Skarniecki had is in retirement at that point. Uh, a lot of that though was just they were really banged up. There were injuries in 2015, and they had a really hard time fielding guys cohesively, and they had to kind of mix and match. And I think of all the, the, the units on the field, you need to have consistency in your offensive line, have that chemistry. And if you remember the uh, the AH championship game against the Broncos in Denver, uh, they Brady was on his ass the entire game because they yeah. just couldn't stop anybody. But since then, they brought Skarniecki back. They really focused on it. They've been drafting guards and tackles high in the draft. Belichick loves to draft linemen high, and he finds these guys that just fit the system. You know, Nate Solder left in free agency, signed a sixty million dollar contract with the Giants. They brought in Trent Brown, who no one had really heard of. He's making two or three million dollars this year, if that, and he's an absolute monster. Um, so he finds these guys that not only play well, but they learn under Skarnecchia, they fit the system, and they work with the kind of offense Tom Brady runs. You know, Belichick's great at knowing that there's not as many superstars in there are in the league as there are good players who can be coached. So that's what he looks for, especially in the O line, because if you don't have a good O line, you're not going to do well. It's just kind of that's one of the more underrated positions in the entire league. Yeah, it, it really it really is. And, and it just, like I said, for years, you know, watching the Patriots, you see Brady standing back there. He's standing back there straight-legged, just scanning the field, looking to find somebody open. And you're like, Jesus Christ, anybody can do what <laughs> It's like not to try to take anything away from Brady, but it's like and you put anybody back there. Because I remember the, the conversation at one point being, imagine how good a quarterback Rex Grossman could have been if he was standing behind that offensive line. He had nine seconds to throw the ball back there. I mean, he could find anybody open. You know, the DBs are going to run out of gas eventually or somebody's going to make a wrong turn, you know, predict that they're going to cut this way and they cut that way and you leave your receiver open when you've been waiting back there for six seconds. I mean, 
it just the offensive line seemingly just about anybody they put up there is going to succeed uh, for them. So you got to give credit to the guy coaching them because you know that has not been an issue except like you said in about 2015, and even then it took one of the best defenses ever to take them down in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, it's funny. You know, they're they're always these these quote unquote down years for England, where like one of their positional groupings is really weak, or they're having a lot of trouble managing injuries, or there's something going wrong with the team. And those are the years they lose in the AFC Championship game, right? Mm-hmm. Those are like their down years. Come to like playoff losses. Uh, it's such a weird shift in expectations to this, team where you know they're either going to win the Super Bowl or like their season's a disaster and they only made it to the divisional round right that's like that's like a, a massive season for a lot of people um but just the way that the team's been so successful for so long we just totally shifted our, our paradigm of how we judge the Patriots uh, and we find these things that we and I'm as guilty as anybody of this as the Patriots fan for 30 plus years um you you find these things to kind of pick apart with New England because you're just so used to them winning it's easier to do it that way yeah, I, 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 I shudder to think what the NFL in whole is going to look like when when Belichick finally hangs it up yeah. because he truly is one of the one of the true geniuses that the NFL uh, has ever seen. You know, he always seems to be able to find that one thing that he can exploit on a team that's going to put the Patriots in the best position to win. The Patriots have won so many different ways over the years with so many different people. And that's the other thing. Aside from like Brady, is there anybody still on the team now that was on the team when he first won the Super Bowl back in 2001? Brady's probably it. You know, the only other guy still in the league is uh, Vinatieri and he's with the Colts now. I mean, there's not a lot of guys still around. And so it's not like he's been using the same guys for 15 years. Hell, he has a reputation for getting rid of them before their, before they, you know, their expiration date. You know, Richard Seymour, Ty Law, you know, Lawyer Malloy. You know, the, the list is, is long, actually, when it comes to those kind of players uh, for Belichick. But it always turns out to be the right move. And when that mind finally leaves the NFL, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, me too, man. It's funny. You know, as much as people hate the Patriots and I totally get it and I would hate them, too, were I not a Patriots fan. The league kind of needs the Patriots, right? They're the big bad guy. They're the big villain. Everyone loves a good villain. They're kind of this the evil empire of the NFL that wants to take down every single year. And the NFL landscape is going to be a very weird place when Brady and Belichick are either separated or Belichick retires or whatever it is. Once that that duo is no more, and it's going to happen probably in the next five years, right? That's a Brady can't play forever. He's going right. to, I think at least. I mean, who knows with this guy, but. You know, um, it's going to be a very interesting place. And I feel like as much as people hate seeing Tom Brady right now, his first year not in the league is going to be a very kind of dull year because there's not going to be a, a villain anymore. And it's just a bunch of teams that are all kind of good. And, like, I feel like the AFC the NFC right now, there are maybe two teams in each division that are really, really good. And then the rest of the teams are just, like, okay. And they're playing games and they're, we'll see what happens come late December. But the Patriots are just like that, that one uniting factor. Whenever they make a Super Bowl, there's a very small pocket of the Northeast of the country that's rooting for them. And the rest of them is really rooting for the, any other team. So I don't know. Like I, I obviously I love it, but I'm, I'm with you, man. It's gonna be a very interesting time when, when that, that guy hangs it up. The other problem is like, I don't know Bel- what's going to do. Belichick's not really a retire and lie in a hammock and drink margaritas kind of guy. Yeah. You know? He's a football lifer. His dad was coaching at Navy, and he's been there since he was a ball boy at age 15 for the Colts. And so I can't imagine him ever stepping away from the game completely. It might be like a Bill Parcells in Miami scenario or becomes like a, a, a 
coordinator or like a VP of operations, something like that. I can't see him ever fully stepping away from the game. What I'd love to see happen, just one game, like a color commentator in like the box. I would love to see that for just one game. See how just like like him and Rex Ryan would make an amazing, oh my amazing announcing duo. <laughs> you think Belichick could handle speaking? For oh, three no, hours. No. I mean, it's oh, it'll be it'll be a disaster. But it'll be it so would be funny. a disaster. It oh, would. Yeah. It would have to be like a preseason game or yeah, something totally, like that. Totally. Just yeah. some throwaway game no one cares about, but everyone's tuning in. Because, seriously, Belichick's going to call this one. I definitely have to watch that. I hate the Patriots, but I'm not missing that. There's no, no way I'm not watching that game. So yeah. But what do you think is more likely to happen first? That they separate or do they leave together? Yeah, I mean, what I'm really worried about when, with Tom Brady is, like, I think Brady, he's already kind of cemented his legacy. He's the greatest of all time. If you want to argue Montana, I'll listen. Um, but I think there's nothing he can really do to to make him any more than the greatest of all time. But the problem is he's just such a, a maniac with his training regimen and his mentality. And with these, these players, you know, their their body shuts down before their heart does and before their mind does. Right. And he's going to maybe maybe win one more Super Bowl if all goes well. And then it'll be time for him to move on, but he won't be ready to give it up yet. He won't be able to walk away from the game. And I can see him going to like San Francisco where he grew up for like a, you know, one last kind of West Coast ride and just really not having it. Like you watched Peyton Manning his last year in the league. It was really sad to see. It was. He was a ghost out there. He was a corpse. He's one of the all-time greats. You know, he's a blast to watch. And as a certified Peyton Manning hater, I can admit that. You don't want to see your, 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 your golden boy quarterback just limping along for one more season because you know to hang it up. And I, I really can see that happening with Brady because he's so competitive, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it would be, uh, you know, it's going to be something if, especially if, if uh, Brady leaves New England before Belichick yeah. retires. Like, I mean, because you hear all the time, like this was supposed to be the year where things melted down because this is the year that the offseason – it came out that basically it all is not right in paradise and you know they're they're at each other's throats they won't talk to each other or whatever whatever the hell the problem is and no one's really kind of remarking on the fact that it took this long for that to happen you know that it's been 17 18 years that now there's finally some kinks in the in the armor you know kind of thing it's like oh no it took 17 years you know in in the NFL that's a lifetime but um no, it is. And it just uh, it would be very interesting to see a an NFL where Brady and Belichick aren't uh, together. So I, I often wonder what that might actually what that would look like and, and what that might do to Brady's legacy. Because the my contention with the whole greatest of all time thing is that I don't know. Like my argument for Brady not being the greatest of all time is how the Patriots have succeeded when when Brady wasn't there. They went 11-5 and five without him the year that he hurt his knee week one uh, in 2008. With Garoppolo and Cody and Jacoby Brissett, they went 3-1 and one the four games that he got suspended for, uh, deflate gate and things like that. I th- think the Patriots would be fine without Brady. Would Brady be fine without Belichick is the real question. What would happen to his legacy if he went somewhere else and laid a dud in, with his next team? No, I mean, that's that's the argument I've heard before. Uh, my counter-argument to that is obvious uh, two things. I'll say one thing. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a legit quarterback. I sure, think he's a, sure. a solid starter. And so that was a good player that went in there and won those games. Uh, Brissett, I think they were just really – that was like a – they got lucky in the Texans game. Yeah. Um, they, they, they muffed a couple of punts, and there was the, the defense played anyway. But the They still shut them out, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, was, that no. was the other thing. Got a lot of help from the defense. Yeah. 
Um, the 2008 thing is always the big one. They went 11 and five with Matt Castle, who went on to do Jack Squat right. elsewhere. Um, but if you, if you remember 2000, 2008, they came off an undefeated 2017 season uh, where they lost to the Super Bowl. They were playing the AFC West that year, which was terrible. They were playing a terrible AFC East. The Dolphins had gone one and fifteen the year before. They still split with the they still split with the Jets with the Brett Favre led Jets that year. Any team that was actually decent, they played like the like the Colts they lost to, the Steelers destroyed them, the Chargers beat them, the Broncos beat them. Any team that was basically over five hundred, they lost to that season. I, I'll be very curious if we could go back and if Brady was playing in 2018, if they didn't go undefeated again. It was definitely possible. They had a really, really weak schedule. Not that now Belichick did work miracles, and that's a very legitimate argument you have about what they did with Matt Castle. Um, but I, I think that you know the real the real kicker is Belichick has zero playoff wins without Tom Brady. And <laughs> that's how we kind of measure anything in 2000 in the world is like, how sure. do you do when it really matters? And Belichick is great in the regular season. He's won zero without Tom Brady. And it's tough because you look at every great quarterback who's ever played. They always have a great coach with them, right? Yeah. You, you got Montana and Bill Walsh and Dan Marino and Don Shula and Jimmy Johnson and Troy Aikman. So they're always kind of married, these coaches and quarterbacks. So it's really hard to have the debate one without the other because it's hard to find a quarterback. I can't really think of one on top of my head who didn't have a really good coach alongside him, you know? Well, uh, Peyton Manning and John Fox, you can argue that one. I well, mean, yeah. you know. But then again, when they won the Super Bowl, it was Gary Kubiak in charge, not yeah. uh, John Fox. So what, uh, you can make that argument because – he didn't definitely didn't show us uh, that he was worth the three years that the Bears gave John Fox. That's for sure. But uh, it was a necessary evil because we wouldn't be where we are today without it. But um, to pivot back to to the, the game um, on Sunday, I I saw that. Uh, I mean, aside from the panic that I saw when it's like, hey, Khalil Mack didn't practice today. Like, <gasps> what? <laughs> so. You know, of course, I had to go to the bathroom and clean my shorts after I read that. But <laughs> I saw that there are 11 guys on the Patriot uh, injury list. Now, is that because this is Belichick and he does. Yep. He's one of the best gamesmen that there is uh, in the NFL. He will tell you nothing, but he'll he'll put some of the most innocent injuries on the injury report. So, I mean, are there 11 legit hurt guys on there or is this Belichick just being super honest and screwing with the rest of the NFL? <laughs> uh, Chris Hogan, the receiver, is dealing with a, a thigh injury. Uh, Marcus Cannon, who's a really big loss, our right tackle, is dealing with a concussion protocol right now. Right. If he can't go, backup right tackle, Adrian Waddle is going to be getting the start. And him against Khalil Mack is going to make me change my shorts. So right. <laughs> that's, that's, the one, that's the one I'm watching right now. Sure, really sure. Um, the rest, uh, you know, there's not really anything t- too serious. I think the injury report's an absolute joke, um, to be honest with you. Uh, but Chris Hogan's one to monitor. Marcus Cannon definitely one to monitor. Other than that, they're they're pretty healthy for the most part. Yeah, and and when I saw that, I was like, okay, well, it, on, with other teams that might make you perk your ears up a little bit. Really, eleven guys, wow. And you know, I was like, but it's Belichick. He probably put somebody on there with a hangnail just to screw with the NFL, right? You know, and 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 they're you know he's the the most. <laughs> The guy really loves to thumb it back to the NFL sometimes, man. He really does. And But he, this is also what Belichick does. He's always competing one way or another. And to have you worry about this many guys on the injury list makes you spend other time preparing for other guys. Like, you know, obviously Marcus Cannon's got a legit injury, but the Bears are probably going to spend time trying to watch tape on, you say his name was Waddle? Adrian Waddle, yeah. Waddle. You know, to see what they can dig up on him, and then Marcus Cannon plays uh, on Sunday. And I'm like, oh, well, great. So this is not the guy we've been preparing for 
all week or kind of like what the Dolphins did last week was I heard the NFL is investigating the fact that like Tannenhill basically didn't practice last week. Osweiler took all the snaps, but you know, they didn't put Tannehill on the, the injury list until late and then Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whatever. The next thing you know, Brock Osweiler starting on Sunday and it was like the, the Dolphins pulled off this big ruse or whatever. Like they knew all along Osweiler was going to start and then everyone found out literally like two hours before the game started. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't I don't know anything about the injury report. That's, you know, I think the real one is if the guy doesn't practice on Friday. It's usually an indicator he's not going to play. Um but again, I think the only one that you, no, there's, there's two players that I might not see that are starters, and that's Marcus Cannon, like I said, and there's the defensive tackle Malcolm Brown, who banged his knee up two weeks ago. He was a he was a scratch against the Chiefs. He's an interior lineman who'll be huge against the run. He's a first round pick, deep. wasn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, their first round pick in 2006, 16, um, or 17, excuse me. Um, no, 16. I'm right. Um, there was a. Uh, you know, they have a lot of depth in the in the defensive line. So he's not a huge lot. They have Danny Shelton. They have Lawrence Guy. They have Trey Flowers. So they're not like a, a, a really shallow team in the defensive line, but he's a big run defender guy. Gronk's got an ankle injury, but he's he'll, he'll definitely play. Sonny sure. Michelle's dealing with a knee from the preseason. He'll definitely play. Uh, there's Josh Gordon in his hamstring, but he seemed to be unaffected by that. And he's getting healthier by the week. So the only guys that really are could be real blows to lose the Patriots is, is Malcolm Brown. And, and again, if Marcus Cannon can't play, um, that's a real problem. Because I, I don't know what the Patriots are going to have to do to, to stop Khalil Mack coming off the edge. The Gronk's going to have a smaller day. He'll be much more used as a blocker. They'll bring Dwayne Allen in to chip block. I mean, James Devlin is a fullback. They're going to have to devote a lot of resources to Khalil Mack anyway, regardless. Mm-hmm. But with Marcus Cannon out, uh, that's a real problem for the Patriots. Um, how is Josh Gordon doing? Because I mean, everybody was you know kind of freaking out about the the Browns finally giving up on him, and and of course they trade him to New England. So then it was like, oh, all right, well then I guess the Josh Gordon problem is solved because whatever this is going to be the last stop for Josh Gordon if he screws up and the Patriots take a chance on you and you blow that one, yeah. it's over for you for sure. Um, you know, because uh, Belichick runs a very tight ship and. There is no messing around, and if if, George, if Josh Gordon screws up in, in, in New England, he's done. No one else will take a chance on him, no matter how talented he is. How has he been for you guys so far? Yeah, so far, I guess I'd give him like a B minus uh, what he's done so far. It's only been a couple of weeks. He's still definitely learning the playbook. Him and Tom Brady are still not quite on the level that he and Edelman are, for example. There are a couple of ga- plays against the Texans, excuse me, against the Chiefs, where Gordon should have maybe come back and saw the hole in the zone, and Brady threw it where Gordon should have been, and he wasn't there yet. Uh, he, he, there was a play in the end zone. They had to settle for three where there was a hole between two defenders. Gordon kept running the crossing route. Brady hit him behind. So there are a couple plays like that where you see that they haven't really seen the defense in the same way they should. Um, but as a hands receiver, as a vertical threat, uh, as a physical presence, he's definitely the most gifted receiver they've had since Randy Moss in that respect. I'm not sure. comparing the two by any stretch. But in terms of just like a, a physical talent, uh, you don't really see it in the Patriots. You know, Julian Edelman is the kind of the, the normal kind of guy. These shifty little slot receivers that do well, the Amendolas of the world. You know, they do really well in the system. They don't really have these deep, rangy outside threats the way they do with, with Josh Gordon. So if he can continue to win the playbook, if he can stay off the weed, and if he and Brady can get on the same page and hit those hit those kind of in-and-out routes that the Patriots are known so well for, the sky's the limit with that guy. He's I, I, I like where he's going. He's trending upward, but he's still not quite there yet. All right, last question for you. You asked me earlier what I would do to beat the Patriots. Now I want you to tell me 
how do we beat the Patriots on Sunday? What you know, you've watched them, and in all the time that you know they've won a hell of a lot more than they've lost in 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 recent in the last twenty years or so. What's the key to beating New England? Yeah, I mean it's not a a crazy secret. You know, the teams that beat New England do it the same way. You know, Brady's got a pretty big Achilles heel, and if you can get pressure on him early. You can hit him early, and if you can rush three, four, maybe five guys and get pressure without sending a lot of complicated blitzes and making Brady read the hot route, you can get to him. You play press man coverage, you get pressure with your front four, you hit him hard, and you force him to make some throws that he doesn't want to have to make. You know, Brady will hear footsteps. He will get rattled if he doesn't have time to throw. And so if you can do that and you have a really good defensive line, one of the big mistakes Bill Belichick made was letting Akeem Hicks go. I really don't know why he didn't re-sign that guy. The guy is a phenomenal talent. So you yeah. got him. You've got Khalil Mack. You've got um, Goldman. There's a, yeah, you have a really, really good kind of front seven. Um, Danny Trevathan, I think, is on your team too, right? Oh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so you, like, you've, you've got a lot of talent, and you have, you have the, the physical tools to only rush three, four, five guys and get pressure. And one thing you you see, I don't know what kind of place uh, – unfortunately, I've never been to Chicago for a, a Bears game, Soldier Field, but if it's a loud place where it's hard to communicate at the line – Brady loves to audible at the line and read the defense. And if he can't do that effectively because of the, the crowd noise, uh, that'll help. That'll make them solidify and vanillaize their playbook. And that'll, that'll cause a problem for them. Because I think that in terms of the secondary, again, the Bears secondary against the Patriots receivers, that's an advantage Patriots. Um, so it's going to be all about getting that, that, that front seven to Brady quickly, making him throw before he's ready and then he's, he's got a lot of picks this year. He's throwing six interceptions already. Um, mm. And a couple of them were, were not his fault, a couple bounced off uh, receivers' hands against the Colts, but he's thrown a couple of really bad picks. So if you can get him early, get him often, and force him off his game, it'll be hard for him to get back on it, and that's how you beat the Patriots. And I, I think you're, you're absolutely right as far as you know what I was thinking in, in, in what I was going to say in, in my assessment of what the Bears need to do to win the game was number one you got to get after Brady kind of like the you know that's one of my keys whenever we play the Packers you got to get after Rodgers keep him in the pocket don't let him run around not exactly a big concern when it comes to Brady because the guy's a tremendous quarterback not the world's greatest athlete no Um, you know I mean still to this day I'm sure Brian Urlacher can never live down the fact that Brady juked him out that one time in in 2006 yeah. i mean there he is he's got a beat on brady brady makes this weak ass juke and all of, and girl goes with it and next <laughs> thing you know brady's running past him like dude how did you let that happen he's like the slowest quarterback in the league and he blazed past you like he was freaking usain bolt or something like that but you know i was thinking that you got to get after brady and you have to do it early to, to get the crowd involved so that they are you know screaming at the top of their lungs when the patriots are on the field. So if the Bears can do something to get the crowd into it early, I really think we do have a a really good shot at making it interesting uh, at least and not having one of these blowout games like we played in 2010, played in 2014. The game was over at halftime in both instances. I mean, by a lot uh, in both of those games. And the 2010 team was a playoff team. We made it to the NFC title game in 2010. You beat us like 33-7. to It was over before the end of the second quarter. You know, and it was just one of those things where it's like we got to get to Brady. We got to get it early. We got to get the crowd involved early and do something that's going to get us charged up early on in the game so that we can attack the rest of the football game. 
Yeah, I mean, again, if you can get a couple of big sacks on Brady and if you can con- contain and neutralize James White, who's their receiving back, mm. uh, I think I- – I've said this earlier in the season. I think, in my opinion, as of right now, he is the most important non-Tom Brady offensive player on that field. Brady loves him. He's their checkdown guy. He's elusive. He's shifty. He's like he's his safety blanket. If you can neutralize James White early and force Brady to look down the field while you get to him, it uh, could be a long day for New England. I think it's going to be actually a closer game than when people are thinking. I think the Patriots are three-point favorites right now. Four, um, heard, yeah. Four points. Okay, four yeah. points the betting line. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty close game. I think it's one of those games that if the Patriots do win, they may pull away late because Brady mm-hmm. figures things out eventually. Sure. But if Trubisky can can – hang in there if you can figure out those complicated defensive looks and not make some mistakes early on and keep it competitive at halftime uh could really go either way and to tell you the truth it's like obviously i want the bears to win i definitely think that we can but based on how the last two three games against new england have gone i just want to be in it okay (laughs) i don't want it to be like why the hell am i even watching this at the end of it you know like the most interesting thing that happened for the bears in the 2014 matchup was our dickhead outside linebacker, Lamar Houston, sacking Jimmy Garoppolo in the fourth quarter and then blowing out his knee during his sack celebration. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> that was literally the most interesting thing that happened in that game for us. Uh, aside from that, Martellus Bennett had an insane touchdown catch. Like, How the hell did he even come down with that kind of catch uh, against you guys? But that was you know, one highlight in a 51-14 to 14 loss or whatever the hell the score was. Uh, you know, and then a couple years before we had a playoff team that was, you know, it was it was later in the season, like November or something like that. It was a, you know, like seven and three against eight and two or something like that. And it didn't even look like that by halftime. It was already like 31 to seven or something like that. So I would much rather have a game like we had against Miami where we're clawing at each other at the end of this thing. And it can happen. And the game can change on one play and, and all that kind of stuff as opposed to like, yep, just waiting for this one to end because it's 28 to three or something ridiculous uh, like that. So I want to win. I think we can win, but I just want to be in it. Uh, at the end, I want us to actually compete with the Patriots this time around. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it should be a good game. I think the Bears are are not as I think they're they're not as good as advertised. They're not as bad as advertised. And the Patriots are the exact same way. I think they're not as good as advertised right now. They're still figuring it out, and like their their losses aren't as bad as people want to paint them as. Uh, I think this is kind of a a statement game for both teams. And sure. The Patriots are on the road. It's a true road test of a a, a much improved team. And you know, anytime you you want to assert your dominance in the league, you go through the Patriots. If you can hang with New England and you can beat New England, that's a big statement you can make and a huge confidence builder. Like if Drabitsky can take out Tom Brady, that's going to bode so well for him in the second half of the season. So, yeah, I think the Bears are, are, are approaching this the right way and knowing like this is kind of the, the white elephant's the bully in the room and yeah. you got to bring it. And um, talk about an overreaction Monday for Bear fans if we beat New England on Sunday. Oh man! Like, That's it. We've done it. We're going to the Super Bowl. We beat the Patriots. Like, okay, calm down. We still got ten games left. We still got to play the Rams later on this year. That's going to be our real test because they're an NFC opponent that we're probably going to have to see more often. In uh, everything, we still have five games left in the division to play later on this year. So let's just calm down. We we won a great game. We won a good game against a great team. Let's let's hold off on the on the you know the parade for now. So. But, uh, Alec, I appreciate you coming on, man. Great talk. Uh, always uh, enjoy having you on. 
Uh, where can we find you online? Are you doing a podcast these days? Yeah, we do. Uh, Rich Hill and I do a call. It's a very creatively named the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on Pat's on Pat's Pulpit, really, really, really dug into the creative well for that one. Sure. We sure. do that uh, at least once a week, mostly after game days. It comes up on Tuesday or Wednesday of the week after game days. We also do a live YouTube chat on pregame on Sundays or Mondays when the games are on. And uh, you can find me on patspulpit.com, writing articles and and talking all things Patriots. Awesome, Alec. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show, man. Uh, hopefully it is a competitive one and everybody comes out healthy. That sounds great, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Remember, guys, who you're betting on is just as important as who you are betting with. And that's why I always recommend my bookie. They've been in business for years, the best reviews online, and they have a, an e- a mobile site that is easy to use. And don't forget, use the promo code BEARS25 and get an additional $25 in free play on deposits over $100 if you do it after 7 p.m. Eastern time. And on top of it all, they match every deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code BEARS25. My bookie, you play, you win you get paid. So I want to thank my guest, Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit on SB Nation. Be sure to check it out. Any Bears content that they might have uh, this week. I think he said their preview episode was already out. So go ahead and check that out. And uh, anything that they have to say on Pat's Pulpit on SB Nation, uh, give that a look uh, as well. So we talked about it uh, with Alec. We asked him, you know, You've already said uh, you've already asked me what uh, what would the Bears what do you what do I think the Bears are going to do? What should the Bears do uh, to win? And his answer made perfect sense. It's something that I've noticed about Brady over the years um, because as a football fan, there's no avoiding Tom Brady because the Patriots on national television about 17 times a season. Uh, so you run into a New England game pretty much every single week if you really tried. Uh, and actually, you don't even really have to try all that much for it to uh, for it to just happen. And, um, you know, in, in games and I'm thinking back to like their unsuccessful playoff runs and and things like that, the, the common tale of those losses has been defenses being able to get after Brady staying in his face. And, and it's not so much that that Brady gets rattled and and does anything like that. It, it's more so that he starts to feel the pressure, even when it's not necessarily coming. If you get after him early on, the clock in his in his head starts to run a little bit faster, and maybe he makes a throw about a half second before he normally would have, and therefore the you know the window is smaller and there's a greater chance of it either being knocked incomplete or getting picked off and uh, and things like that. And Brady's also a competitor. You know, if you knock the competitor down over and over again, he might get emotional and do something stupid. So uh, getting after Brady, staying in his face, disrupting what he wants to do is definitely a key to success. It might even be the biggest one because if we can neutralize Brady, you neutralize that entire offense, and then it's just about what the Bears can do on offense. In the last couple of weeks, you had you know pretty much the entire game against Tampa and that second half uh, against Miami. It's a pretty good offense, and um, you know hopefully Allen Robinson will be healthy enough to play uh, on Sunday, and uh, Khalil Mack will be as close to 100% as possibly can be. 
uh, to take the field against the Patriots, and and uh, you know we can we can be competitive. I mean, you heard me mention to Alec that's more than anything. Just looking at what our last few games against the Patriots have been like, competitive is a worst case scenario for me. That's I mean, obviously, best case is winning the game, which I absolutely believe we can do. I absolutely believe we can do it. You know, I don't think the Patriots are anything special on defense. The only thing that worries me about their defense is that Belichick is a defensive genius. And um, even though he's not their defensive coordinator, you best believe he had a hand in uh, game planning that defense and preparing it uh, for the Bears and Trubisky and, um, you know, basically laying an outline for their own defensive coordinator uh, to, to, to battle the Bears. Uh, on Sunday you know he has proven time and time again they've they've won so many different ways with so many different players there's always a different star in in every game and that's the thing that just you know as a football fan you have to stand back and admire uh, about the Patriots and I'm not blowing smoke guys this is legit you know you you look at it and you know just think about there's a guy out there who's named Jonas Gray who played in one game for the Patriots, scored four touchdowns on Monday Night Football against the the Colts, and the next the, like that following week he misses a, a a team meeting or something like that. Belichick cuts him. You never hear from him again. But he was good for four touchdowns and a blowout win over the or over the Colts uh, one day. And you know they bring in these guys on these one year deals and, and get the last bit of football out of them. Guys are are you know going to New England taking pay cuts to be a part of what new England's going to, you know, put out there and, and things like that. So, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's amazing what, what Belichick has done. And he, like I said, he's done it so many different ways with so many different people. It's, you know, and it's there, there are so many times where the guy that was the, 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 the star was the least, the last guy you were expecting to be the one to pull the trigger on something, to be the guy that, uh, disrupted the game in, in one form or, or another. It, it happens all the time. So that's the like kind of the wild card for me as far as, you know, what does Belichick and company have cooked up for the Bears as far as attacking us uh, on defense and, and coming after Trubisky? You know, how are they going to to scheme against us to, to try to get a guy uh, free and, and get after Trubisky and maybe force him to make a mistake or two or or, or what have you? That's the one thing that I'm kind of. Uh, leery about and uh, I, I just want it to be competitive I, I really really do because you heard me say you know uh, in in 2010 they come into town they kick our ass like 33 to 7 and that was a playoff team in 2010 a damn good football team we had in 2010 and then 2014 obviously we were a joke we went 5 and 11 that year but <laughs> you know we were just coming off a 55 to 14 loss to the to the Packers and then back it up with like a 51 to 17 loss to to New England on the, in both games on the road, mind you, but still, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady made the Bears look ridiculous on back-to-back weeks, and you know you you heard me mention to Alec the most exciting thing that happened in that game was Lamar Houston blowing out his ACL after sacking Jimmy Garoppolo in the fourth quarter. You know he's done this ridiculous sack dance and blew out his ACL when we're down forty-five to seven or something ridiculous like that uh, in the fourth quarter. God. I mean, it's terrible that he blew out his knee, but how friggin' funny was that, man? Like, there you go, you dumbass. We just signed him to a huge contract, 
giving him all this money. He hasn't done a goddamn thing all season. Gets his first sack in garbage time against the backup quarterback in a game that we're losing by 40. He blows out his knee doing a dance. Uh, I mean, that's it was one of those things, you know, if if, uh, you know, if I wasn't crying, if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying kind of thing. It was uh, just one of those just one of those days against the Patriots. And, um, you know, being competitive, first and foremost, is what I want to see on Sunday. You know, if we lose, I want to lose another 31 to 28 ball game or something like that. Kind of like when the Bears lost in in 20 uh, in 2006. Uh, we went up to New England, and it was a battle. It was a war between two of the best teams in football. You know, the Bears would make it to the Super Bowl. The Patriots would come up just short in the AFC title game, too, obviously to Peyton Manning and the uh, and the Colts. I mean, it was a it was the national game of the week, and rightly so. It was an amazing football game uh, back in 2006, and it was uh, like a 22 to 17 final score or something like that. It was a very close game, hotly contested. And the Bears came up short. That's what I want. If we have to come up short, that's how I want to lose. I want to lose in the game, in the fourth quarter, you know, or we're we're making a comeback and we just come up short or anything like that. I mean, it's the Patriots, for Christ's sake. Losing is on is is a is a possibility. Will we lose? I I don't think so. I, I just have a feeling about this game. And you guys have heard me say that a thousand times before, and more times than not. It, it has worked in our favor. I had a feeling last year against the Steelers that we we're going to win this game, and I'll be damned if we didn't win that game. I had a funny feeling about that that Carolina game uh, last year. Boom, two interceptions from Eddie Jackson or a fumble recovery and interception. Eddie Jackson, the Bears pull that one off. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, and I, and I kind of have that feeling this Sunday. I don't think the Bears are going to come out and wax the Patriots. It would be awesome if they did, but I just got a feeling it's going to be our day. You know, hopefully that stat that I pulled out against uh, or, or with Alex uh, early on in the talk was that I saw that uh, every every game the Patriots have played in, all six games, the home team has won. Well, we're the home team this week, so God help us. Hopefully we can pull that off. And, um, you know, we'll be wearing better-looking uniforms in much better-looking weather or we, we won't be uh, rusty or anything like that. We'll be ready and looking to... Uh, Looking to um, avenge, you know, bounce back, redeem. That's the word I'm looking for. Redeem ourselves uh, against the Patriots on Sunday. So that's pretty much it, man. We got to get after Brady. And then on offense, it's all about avoiding mistakes. That's going to be key number one is avoiding mistakes. Just do what you've been doing. The second half against Miami, do what you were doing against the, the Buccaneers. Avoid the mistakes. The, the throw into the end zone, it's double coverage. Can't do that. Hey, hey, you know what? That was something um, that just came. I just read something about that uh, the other day. That interception that Trubisky threw. No excuses or anything like that. It was a bad throw at the absolute worst time. But um, was it Tom Thayer or something like that? He's the the color guy, a former Bear great, of course. But he's the the, the radio guy for the Bears, the color commentator, saying that uh, he had a hunch that Trubisky may have lost that safety in the uh, the goalpost pad uh, in the middle of the end zone. And it turns out uh, Olin Krutz on his Twitter account got a screenshot of, uh, you know, like a behind the behind the, the, the offensive line, like for behind Trubisky, 
looking, and there's it's like Trubisky's about to throw the ball. The safety is about to break on the ball, and he is pretty much standing. Um, you know, and they wore all white, and the Dolphins did on Sunday, and that pad in the middle of the field was also white. So there is a slight chance, a possibility, what have you, uh, and there's evidence to back it up that that's maybe why Trubisky made that throw was that he didn't see the defender blending in with the white background on that pad. I mean, how crazy is that? If that's actually the truth, you know, looking at the evidence, it's possible. But how about that? You know, if that was actually what happened, that Trubisky threw the ball because he didn't see him there, literally because he was camouflaged by the pad behind him in the end zone. I mean, this was a throw that was in the end zone, so he may have just been standing a few feet in front of it, blending right into it. So... I thought that was really interesting when I saw that. You know, obviously, again, no excuse. He threw into double coverage, but he very well may have made that throw because he didn't see the guy because he was blended into that white pad behind him. How funny is that? So, but anyway, we got to avoid stuff like that. Fumbling at the goal line. And, you know, if uh, what I mentioned to Alec, getting off to a fast start. You know, if we start with the football, take it right down the field and put it in the end zone, then the fans in Soldier Field will definitely be into the game. And then, God forbid, we come out and send the Patriots to the sideline on a three and out or something like that. That's going to pump up the fan base even more. And that's what we need to do. Get after Brady, maybe get a sack on that first drive, put the first one in the end zone or at least come away with some points, get a lead early on New England and then stay after them throughout the football game. I mean, uh, Hopefully the defense is chomping at the bit to get out there and get after him. Uh, Akeem Hicks, maybe he's wanting some revenge on on a team that didn't think he was good enough and gave him away uh, to the to the Saints before he came to Chicago, or was it the other way around? Either way, you know, he was uh, – no, we got him from New England, so he went from New Orleans to New England. But still, you know, maybe he's looking to, uh, to, to, to get after uh, New England to uh, kind of show him what they missed out on by letting him go after the 2015 season so you know and then uh just the whole defense the defense as a whole zero sacks last week poor tackling you know just a very bad performance uh, on their part looking to to rebound and and uh to bounce back from that and uh, hopefully uh brady and company will be their punching bag i would love to see the bears uh wax the patriots on sunday can't wait to see it so anyway really looking forward to this game and uh we'll be back on Sunday, or excuse me, on Monday, excuse me. We'll be back on Monday to talk about all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Will it be a victory Monday or will it be a, eh, well, that happened kind of Monday as we get ready for the Jets. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. So come on back Monday. And until then, my name is Larry D and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.